You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors 41. And our guest today is my dear friend and fishing charter skipper Luke Aston. That's Captain Luke Aston for you folks in America. This episode is kicking off a three-week-long stretch of podcasts and blogs on Tommy's Outdoors dedicated to sea angling. So we're going to talk a lot about sea angling over coming weeks. In this episode, we talk about deep-sea fishing, well, obviously, about shark fishing, fishing tackle, like rod types and mono versus braid kind of conversation. And we also give you some hints on how to plan a fishing trip or maybe even fishing holidays of your life. We're also going to talk about social media, <laughs> when you might learn why we don't have edit button on Twitter. And we're going to talk about boats, overfishing and conservation. So, ladies and gentlemen, fish and stay with Luke Aston. We're recording. Luke Aston, how are you, sir? Very good, Tommy. All the better for seeing you today. Yes, it would be. It's been a long time. It has it's been? We reckon three or four years, anyway. Yeah, or more. Or more. More, more, more like five. Um, so very. This nice day, and uh, it was good to drive through the same roads again and visit the same pier again. And uh, I got the boat in the water again. And you got the boat in the water again. <laughs> So um, we've we I've done a lot of fishing with you over the years, and obviously maybe maybe I'm just gonna let you introduce yourself to our listeners, who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Luke Aston. I am a now a charter skipper who take people out and try and make an interesting day or two days or a week's fishing for them in the west coast of Ireland, fishing out of Carrigaholt and operate in the mouth of the Shannon Estuary. Um, my background is in commercial fishing. I grew up with my father commercial fishing out of Donegal before we moved to Clare. And in 2004, as my family were growing up and I was seeing less and less of them and my commercial boat was getting older, I came to a crossroads where I either invested a whole lot of money in a new commercial fishing boat or um, looked for a slightly easier way to enjoy the sea. Mm -hmm. And I always had in my mind uh, the idea of running a charter angling boat. And my wife has a background in accommodation and we had a small guest house that we'd open with the idea of uh, fishermen staying with us and fishing with us and with a few hiccups for the first year or two we then managed to do that and we operate now a fish and stay operation where we try and make people's fishing adventures on the west coast of ireland a reality and, and adventures they are that's that's for sure what's the well, i was i was going to ask you because we we you know we, we know each other a long time and been out for many times and but I like what's the difference between Carrega Holt Angling Center 
or C fish and fish and stay? Is it like a yeah. company <laughs> and a brand, or is it like fish and stay is the website? Caracol Sea Angling is what we trade as. Okay. Um, I've been asked that before. So why don't you make up your mind what you are? But we are Caracol Sea Angling. Yeah. And our website is fishandstay.com. Yeah. I think it's brilliant, actually, because I was thinking about this. Actually, I, I think because it's like this is the name of the company, like, it, like as you say, you're trading as, and this is like Caracol Sea Angling Center. But then if someone wants to fish and stay they google fish and stay and there it is well it doesn't always work like that it's mostly referrals mm -hmm. it's very seldom just a, a, a search google search nowadays there's too mm. much stuff out there in the ether <sighs> too much bullshit plenty of it out there oh yeah i know <laughs> i know and the one of the thing I, I i remember you always cutting through the bullshit you know? well that's, we try to <laughs> that's that's why so how was the last season fishing was it was it good uh so last season was after being very busy up until slowly you know building our business over a few years and being very busy 2008 2009 everybody multimillionaires and spending a fortune <laughs> and as I said to you early, uh, it's a luxury item. Fishing is a luxury item. It's it's something that people do after they've had a family holiday and after they've done. It's a hobby, mm -hmm. so it's not it's not the first thing on your spending list. So people have to have a bit of spare money for it. I have a hard time with it. Like, how come it's not first on your spending? Well, there you go. See, Tommy, <laughs> are you married? <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, it, it, yes, some people do come, mm. become obsessed and some people are amazing, the effort they put into fishing. But for a lot of people, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's a break away from life and wife and family mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. headspace and catch fish and all those sort of things. And I think we have to remember that when we're, we're offering our fishing trips, that it's not just people want to catch fish, of course they do, but they want to enjoy catching fish. Mm -hmm. They want to have a break away from their normal mm -hmm. routine, especially the groups that will come in here and fish with me and commit to fishing with us for a week. Yeah, you know? yeah. And this is, this is one of the things that I was always saying, the difference that I remember fishing with you compared to other charter boats was was like the focus the quality and the focus and the in the in the in the boat that was built purposely for as as a, as a fishing boat and and it was quite a different experience well i hope so thanks for saying tommy you know but um yes we i've gone out purposely i built a boat uh, as good a boat as i could afford i'm very proud of the boat i'm very happy with the boat she's a fine sea boat she costs far too much money She's a hole in the water to throw money into, but she, she's brilliant. But I built it with a big wheelhouse and a slightly smaller deck space than a lot of the normal mm -hmm. angling boats are. The idea was to offer people fishing in comfort yeah. uh, and being able to get out there on the days that are a bit marginal. If people have come a long way and committed their week, they don't want to be sitting looking out at it. Yeah. So we want to be able to get out there. I would say that as a general rule, if the men are fit for it, the boat is more than fit for it. it it's mm -hmm. generally people don't have the experience or the the um, uh, the amount of time spent on the sea to be mm -hmm. out there on days that I could still go out. Really, you know. Yeah. But then again, fishing is fishing is fun. Fishing yes. should always be fun, and um, 
that's you have to remember that. So let's talk about the boat. Tell us about the boat. <laughs> well, the boat is a lock and three six six. It's almost forty foot long. Uh, it was built by a fantastic fella further up the estuary here in Askeaton, um, Cyril Ryan, and I had it built in two thousand and four. I, as I said, quite a big wheelhouse. Still enough deck space to fish up to ten people, but mm -hmm. fishing's four, five, six, and a lot of comfort. Mm -hmm. um, I put quite a big engine in it because I was a great believer in in having it instead of looking for it. Yeah, the engine. I remember. <laughs> I re I remember. <laughs> I remember there's the one thing I remember the the first time where 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 I uh, you know through our our friend John we I I he introduced me to you and we and we were, the first thing I remember was like a, the engine on the boat like a big powerful caterpillar engine yeah it's a big diesel engine and we can run it at sixty percent and do fifteen knots and hmm. we can get places and there's hmm. no point having fantastic I would argue the best fishing in the world off our doorstep and not being able to explore it and get out there and without spending hours going places. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, so, and so boat is on the water now and you're ready for the boat start back in the water today. Another season lining up. Last season was fantastically busy. Um, we did a lot of days, day in, day out, beautiful weather. Uh, I said to my wife last winter, I'm not sure I want to be that busy again. <laughs> And as it happens, I think partly because of Brexit or whatever it is, uh, and I hear this from a lot of people in the tourist industry, uh, we don't have many English people booked for this coming season. Mm. And that has left a little bit of a hole in the season. Mm. But we still have Germans and Dutch and Irish and a few English. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we will have a good season if we get the weather. Yeah. And how how the season, how last season was catch-wise? Is it uh, of fish? Do you do you see fluctuations from season to season, or is it like pretty much it's yes, steady? there's little fluctuations, but it's always a case of working on it. The fish are there in most cases; you have to find them, and you have to be there at the right time. They have to be feeding. There's, you go out one mm -hmm. day and you say there's no bloody fish left in the sea. Mm -hmm. And you're out the next day, and they're jumping into the boat. Well, that's what I'm asking you because if you're ask if you're asking an angler who goes like four times a year, he may be these you know these the four days. days. Yeah. So, but I, I suppose you have a like a more you can you can assess that throughout throughout the year. You know how many good yeah. days was like. Uh, I would say last year the fishing was good. I think there is there is pressure on the inshore stocks. There's mm -hmm. no doubt in the world about it. Um, mm. It's a little bit harder to catch boxes and boxes of pollock than it used to be. Mm -hmm. You'll still catch a fish every cast if you know what you're doing and mm -hmm. if you're in the right place. And you can still have absolutely fantastic days where you can fill a boat. Um, and I don't think you've any more blank days than we ever had. Just if if you're unlucky to be the person that <laughs> if you eat bananas <laughs> and you're out too often on banana days... <laughs> But uh, mm. no, no, the fishing is good. Mackerel, we've been, people have complained about the mackerel stocks. Mm -hmm. We had a fantastic year of mackerel last year. We got mackerel every day we wanted to. We struggled a bit for a couple of weeks in, I'd say, the end of June. But that was after mm -hmm. a really lovely long spell of fine weather, settled weather, yeah. which is never the best weather for fishing. Right. Um, you'll always find um, with a little bit of breeze or a little bit of movement in the sea, the fishing is better. Generally mm -hmm. bright, sunny, calm days, unless it's immediately after... A, a spell of broken weather. Yeah. You know, settled weather, 
easterly wind. So you reckon the fish kind of go deeper into water? Kind uh, of? Well, it's not, I think they just stop moving. You can see them on the fish finder sometimes and you can't catch them. Oh. I, I think the oxygen levels, if the sea has not been shaken and stirred, mm -hmm. oxygen levels are down a bit and the fish don't seem to move as much, don't seem to feed as much. Mm. It's funny, you can be fishing for a day some days for two or three hours, moving along an area and in contact with other boats and nobody's catching a fish. Mm. And then at 23 minutes past 12 in the day, it turns on and it doesn't just turn on for you. You could say, oh, I just found fish. But actually, if you're talking to some of the other boats, it's, the fishing has, has come on the same time as well, yeah. over a five or six mile area. You know, it's oh. there's lots of... There's lots of things to fishing, and um, uh, it's one of the things I really like about what we do is that we have groups of f fishermen in for a week, and we can build a fishing week over them. Day charters yeah. are fantastic, and they can they can people can be very lucky, and they can do everything they want to do, but you don't get to experience fishing mm -hmm. in the same way as you do when you come in for a few days and get out there day in day out and build the experience that you need to, to fish a certain area of water and see different conditions and all the all the, all the variables yeah so that's excellent segue because this is what i would want, want to ask you how the typical kind of holiday package i suppose is a it's a is the name how does it look like so if someone you know finds listen to that podcast google's fish and stay what they could expect after booking like a week or whatever how usually how does how how this plays out so we people that have, have been experienced on the west coast will know that things like blue shark and that sort of stuff tend to come in end of july mm -hmm. so end of july august september we would have a bit more focus on blue shark taupe in this area the best season would be may june early july the funny thing is, of course, we say this now, so therefore we go fishing them these months, therefore we catch them these months, therefore we reinforce everything we said. Is <laughs> <laughs> that so, so, so like maybe if we went fishing blue shark more in May, we might catch them, but no, we wouldn't. The water temperature needs to be up around 15 or 16 15 degrees, degrees before you start getting, um, getting the blue sharks in here. And unfortunately, as we found out last year, the blue sharks are getting quite a hammering from Spanish longliners at times. Hmm. And I wouldn't say we'd certainly get bigger blue shark up here, and we would a normal enough day would be five or six or seven blue shark. That's sort all of things mm -hmm. as you remember, Tommy. Yeah. But um, I I don't I think that blue shark fishing is under pressure more than any other fishing I've noticed hmm. at, at the moment, which is a funny thing to say. But I I wasn't surprised to find out that the Spanish longliners have been working along the south and west coast of Ireland and killing a lot of blue shark. Hmm. You know, I suspected there was something happening and right. then the boats were arrested last year and that oh, was, okay. it wasn't a nice thing. Okay. But it's a, it's a great fishing. And it's the great, great that they were arrested. Yeah, it's great that they were arrested and it's a great fishing and it's a great thing that we have here is that we get a nice long drift over ground where there's quite nice bottom fishing at the time as well, although in my favourite blue shark area is in 80 or 90 metres of water Mm -hmm. But you'll get some nice haddock and garnet and mm -hmm. other bits and pieces of stuff like that along the same ground. But if people are coming for a week, we will chat to them. A lot of them are repeat business. They come back year on year. They come back for their week every year. 
Oh. So it's the same week every year in, the, mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. So they know what to expect. But if I have a new client's in, I'll have talked to them on the internet, maybe on the phone. I try to be realistic with them when we're talking about what's there. I think I have a fairly realistic outlook on my website. I do a Facebook page where we do a report every day so people can go back through the previous couple of years and see what we were catching at that time mm -hmm. of the year, last year and the year before. And when people arrive in the area, of course, the forecast depends. We have a big estuary here, so we can always fish out. I ask them what their main target species is, and we'll plan the week round to a certain... So it's around their target species. It's around their ability. It's around the weather forecast. It's around what's fishing well at the time. And I would try and keep communicating with the fishermen mm -hmm. and build a holiday that way. You know? Yeah. And this is what strikes me again, that your your approach is so professional and so focused on, on what's going on rather than like, oh, let's get the blokes on the boat and go out there and throw the hooks into the water. We'll see what happens. You're <laughs> you're having like a methodical approach to 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 what is going, which which I think is is quite unique. Well, it's not. There are people all over the world and all over Ireland that are doing that, but there are not, a, not enough of them. And there are too many people that just take people out and catch mackerel and pollock and come back in again in the evening. Mm -hmm. And if you came for a week to do that, you'd be fairly well discussed so by the end of the week. So mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I've had groups of people that first booked with me when I first started doing it in 2004, and they've booked the same week every year since. So yeah, I'm doing something right. Yeah, you you you, de you definitely do. Um. So and then around that, there's also accommodation. There's also meal. There's also anything. yes. I'm I'm married to Mary for a long time, and she's a fantastic happily happily. Yep, three kids, um, and we've built up this guest house, and it's her baby, and we have four bedrooms, and she's brilliant. She's um always feeds feeds them well, mm -hmm. very important, and. Uh, have a good meal every evening, good breakfast in the morning. I can I, I can attest that we just I just I just had a I just had a dinner <laughs> somehow, so it was great. Um, Mary grew up in a, a farming family, and uh, I think her mother and herself were well used to feeding farm mm -hmm. people that were in cutting silage or whatever they had to do. They had to be fed well, <laughs> so that's their background. It's a good dinner, and uh, but she's a very good cook as well, a good chef, and um, she has great personality for it. Mm. and uh, we work well together I think we're a team so in other words when people come to fish and stay their fish and stay all their needs are taken care of they don't have to go anywhere they, no. they might if they want but actually you, you know, their, their, their we week have a, is filled we with... offer them a package which includes everything they need to fish and stay that's uh, that's, that's it. but but you also do individuals, or you, or do you? Because yeah, I remember when we started, when I started going with you, we're not yeah. doing individuals at all. No, and I still don't do a lot of them, to be honest. But we do have a week. We tend to have a week or two every year where people could come for a full week as an individual, or they can join in for a couple of days, or join in for one day. And I do have a text list where I just, mm -hmm. if the boat is quiet and the forecast is good. I will send out a text to the list mm -hmm. and I will take a maximum of seven people on the boat because I still mm -hmm. want to offer them a good experience. But um, the first seven people who reply to me are mm -hmm. on the boat that day. Yeah. yeah, And that's the way I work. And 
for me yeah. it's it's worked quite well you know i yeah, always i remember that it was always like a quite a like to get on the boat with you was like a, like a privilege i was like wow yeah there's a text go go <laughs> we, we do that <laughs> yeah well uh, you know i'm lucky i'm lucky I have, a, i have a group of lads that uh i enjoy meeting and they enjoy fishing and mm. um it works for us that's that's great you mentioned your your catch reports on facebook now when 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 i started going with you you had a, like an absolutely excellent twitter feed actually i think that i got on twitter first because of you and your twitter feed and there was there was back in the times when twitter was going over text messages and the phones yes so that's for all young people who don't know what why there is no edit tweet but button it's because Twitter started with text messages and when once you send it you send it there's no edit yeah that's why and uh and it was great because like you said <clears throat> you build up like a like a i don't want to say resume or portfolio but you can see what's happening which days like and so on and so on i used to do it i used to get in the routine of tweeting as i left the pier in the morning i'd do maybe five or six tweets a day from the boat yeah as what was fishing during that day i found that it was a attraction for loonies It was my biggest... That's what social media is in general, right? Well, yes, but on Facebook, you can control it to a certain extent. Maybe mm -hmm. because I, as you said, it was a text on my phone, so I wouldn't see a lot of cases, what other texts were coming in. We wouldn't have great coverage. It might even be sent as an SMS mm. to the Twitter feed. So you wouldn't see the reaction. So sometimes you come back in the evening and you realize there's three or four people or a group of friends of the earth or some people mm -hmm. or other picked up on something and taken it completely out of context and banded it around. And if you put up photographs, the next thing you see it as a being used against angling, mm -hmm. out of context and against angling. And of course, once you put it up on social media, you lose all copyright of everything as, mm -hmm. as people should mm -hmm. are aware. And uh, no, I just found, and I actually talked to quite a few people that are in the sort of, shall we say, outdoor sports, mm -hmm. hunting, shooting, And they would say the same thing about Twitter. Yeah, yeah. You, you, if if people have a group of thing, they can they can alert a group with a hashtag, and next thing you have ten or fifteen people all yeah pecking away. You know. Yeah, yeah. So and that's then, why and, I, and, and I do stopped. You, and do you and why do you why do you care? Because there's a lot of people who just don't care, just don't give a crap. You think it's like a bad for the business in general, or I think anything taken out of context is bad. That's true. Uh, and unless you have the time and the headspace. To take these people on, I took took on groups for a while, and would re reply to them. And I think some people are very good at doing that. As again, we wouldn't have coverage at sea a lot of the time, mm. so it's not so easy to get involved in a tit for tat. And mm. I don't have the time. Yeah, and I don't have the inclination. I don't. Th I don't think that's ever a good strategy to to start. You know, yeah. conversation and kind of with with yeah. that. I I don't. I'm not particularly tech savvy. It was yeah. more to inform people what's happening on the boat. That I did a Twitter feed. Well, anyway, I, I'm missing it. I'm, it. I'm missing it. I'm missing. I'm missing it. I'm definitely yeah. missing it. But it's good. You're, you're, you have on Facebook. You're pretty much doing the same thing now on Facebook, so people can. Go well, in. I just do a fishing report every evening. Normally about six o'clock in the evening on the days I'm out fishing, fishing I do a fish little short. What we did, what was fishing was like that day. Maybe one photograph. Sure, sure, great. Listen, and so, what species of fish? Is it like a because this is one of the things. There's like so many different species of fish that people can can target here. Yeah. You mentioned sharks, blue sharks, six gill sharks, 
But there's also pollock, there's wrasse, there are And there's rain. multiple ways of catching all these fish. Yeah. Uh, the sporting way or the deep freeze way. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, yes, and a lot of groups will come in and their aim is to catch as many different species in the one week. And I think we've got up towards 40 species some weeks. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, and personally... I suppose I get known as Mr. Six Gill or Six Gill Man, and we've caught these sharks over a thousand pound weight. And it's very spectacular when they come to the surface, or and they're quite a fight, and there's a real hunting element to it because you have to be in the right space at the right time and put in the effort and everything else. Personally, if I was asked what was my favorite type of fishing, give me a light spinning rod and some lead heads and some pollock in 7 to 80 meters of water and I'd quite happily spend the day there. Yes. My favorite way of fishing. I couldn't agree I couldn't agree more because it's a light tackle and you have yeah, like yeah. A, this connection with the fish and you're fighting yep. and you feel what the what the fish is doing. You can doing. feel it actually you can actually even feel it approaching your lure before it even takes the lure if <laughs> if you're really on song you can actually feel it when a fish is near the lure. Mm -hmm. And uh yeah. No, that's that's, and then of course we fishing for wrasse and around the shore they're brilliant fighting fish. You have to be so on the ball because they get straight back into the bottom so quickly, and then you have all your other white fish. You have ling, cod, haddock, whiting, pollock, black pollock. You have your garnets, John Dorries, and then you have mm. all your flatfish, rays, different types of rays, skate, sharks, spur dogs. Bullhuss, dogfish, wow. congers. <laughs> like there is a lot of fish out there. And, 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 and there is a lot of fish. And again, I'll say it, I fished, I've been lucky enough to fish in quite a few places around the world now. And everywhere has a spectacular thing. But if you want to catch fairly regular for a long day, you won't be the west coast of Ireland. Yeah, I don't think you will. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. And it's it's also... Thanks for all the species of shark. Great opportunity to to taste big game fishing, really. Yeah, and we have bluefin tuna, which unfortunately we have not been allowed to target or to advertise. But mm -hmm. this year, there has been an announcement that we the department are going to allow fifteen boats where they got wow. that figure to go fishing for bluefin tuna on a catch and release basis. Wow. Get any more information out of the department? You're doing a lot better than me. Mm. But that is what we've been told so far. I will certainly be targeting bluefin tuna uh, this year. There is already a skipper up in Donegal that had over 200 bluefin tuna last year. 200? 200, which... Were they big? Yeah, up to, uh, I think the best in this year, sort of 400 pounds. Wow. The same man holds the Irish record, which is 998 pounds. Mm -hmm. So, I've been over a thousand pound of six kill, but, mm -hmm. but yeah. like, oh, but it's it's a spectacular fishing that's out there. There's some people that are interested in in looking at swordfish fishing. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I remember we were talking about this yeah. swordfish fishing like years ago. That's right. I think you did a yeah. did you did a trip with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Um, there's some people still at it, talking about trying it again. I've caught swordfish off the west coast of Ireland as a commercial fisherman, and they're mm. caught quite regular in the pelagic nets. Mm. There's no reason why you couldn't put them in. Again, it's long way out. It's the weather. It's mm -hmm. blah. It's, it's a, all. It's a big endeavor. It's an endeavor. Yes. Yeah. 
so so just to finish on on that 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 because I I'm really interested in the in the bluefin tuna and that we come back to that in a second but uh, just to finish of like a technical aspects of it tackle what tackle people should bring or what should they make sure that they have because you mentioned light spinning rod with the with the lead heads for for spinning for pollock but then you have ras you had so is there you know well I tell you my range of boat the range of rods I have on my boat and it would be it'd be the same sort of range that you'd want to have if you want to bring your own rods but you have a sort of 80 pound class for 80 pound rod 30 to 40 pound 30 to 50 pound class reel for the six skills and the skate you have 30 pound class rods prefer and the, and the skate and six skill i would say use braid up to 100 pound breaking strain braid mm. mainly because you can feel exactly what's happening on the bottom then you go to the blue sharks and the poor beagles and i would go 30 pound 30 to 50 pound class for blue sharks 30 pound class if you if there's a chance of a poor beagle around maybe a good 30 pound class or up to 50 pound class and i would use mono and i know some people like say use braid use braid but i've lost too many fish with braid hmm. and any person that does a lot of game fishing around the hmm. world will tell you that mono is a lot easier to handle fish on than braid braid yeah. is for a, so a hard fighting strong fish I, d I don't think it's it's a pro it's people use it say i'll use braid now for shark fishing but you, they use braid now for catching small blue blue dogs that's what mm -hmm. they can you know if you're catching 20 or 30 pound blue shark then braid is great fun yeah. but if you're to the chances of that 100 or 130 or 40 pound mm -hmm. it's not the, it's not the job so i would say 30 pound class mono up to 50 pound breaking strain and then for your general fishing i would use a 12 to 20 7 foot 7 foot to 8 foot rod with a nice multiplier with braid for general scratching on the bottom hmm. catching congers um any of your normal down down rig fishing and then i would have a spinning rod able to cast up to about 120 grams so your traditional pike rods eight nine foot long mm -hmm. nice spinning reel um that would be the range of gear I'd, are I'd you know. still doing uh the rod higher on the boat yes the boat so okay. the boats we have a, a couple of spinning rods we have quite a few 12 to 20s we have 30 uh, a whole lot of 30 pound class rods and we have some of the heavy 50 to 80 pound class rods so right. i have a range of so if anyone is listening to that it's like oh my god it's like a small tackle shop they, <laughs> they they shouldn't be worried because you can take care at least partially of their i can take care of everybody I, I if people want to arrive with no thing i can take care of that and they will have good quality rods and reels hmm. um i love seeing people bring their own gear like people might look at me and say what you hired out and you sell out it's far more interesting and it's far nice to watch a person have planned his fishing trip arrive with his fishing gear arrive at the rod that he's ordered and messed around and asked a whole lot of friends has he got the right one and mm -hmm. catch his fish and light up his face mm -hmm. if people are using my rods and my boat on my fishing mark are they a winder or <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's a, well. That's another. That's another big question, you know, because they 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 just have a rod and they're still on your boat and on your fishing mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. but I I get it. I totally agree that this this gives 
But like, I wouldn't like to go fishing with somebody else's rod. It's like a emergency situation where like my own rod is like broken or something, and I have to kind of do something. It's 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 but, like. But for people flying in, in particular, although the travel rods, I I travel myself fishing around the world now with travel rods, and they're brilliant. Mm -hmm. But we do have good quality rods on the boat, and a lot of people will arrive with their terminal tackle themselves, and I'll get I'll hire them rods and reels, mm -hmm. and I make sure that we have fairly new, fairly good. I use mostly pen. Mm -hmm. rods shakespeare reels yeah. i've started getting a few rods made for myself now um, like a custom build custom build wow. as well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a staple of professional fishermen like, <laughs> like custom build rods do you do you yeah. make in, do you naming your rods i even got my latest rods i'll show you a picture of them later on it they should be delivered maybe they were delivered today i'm just into the house ahead of you tommy and the delivery was it was posted yesterday so possibly delivered today but it's got Captain Luke Aston on them and they're Claire Dragoon rods. So. Wow. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's yeah, wherever the that, cap. I didn't specify the captain. I, uh, that was my rod builder that put that on him. That's like, like an American thing, right? Yeah, captain. it's an American thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, no, no. I, and I just want to add to the what you mentioned uh, using mono versus braid. I suppose this is like a one of the oldest arguments in the angling community uh but i remember my friend i think he was he was also with you once who was like a big into braid and he went out with me for the first time shark fishing it was on a different boat like, oh this is like a braid like a 40 pound 50 pound whatever and the moment that braid touched the skin of the shark it just snapped gone, yeah. gone gone absolutely so well it's very severe on the fish as well you know it's mm. severe on the fish because it's very very sudden on the fish so yeah. you know especially shark because they they're rotating and they can wrapping themselves moving and so if a fish is 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 moving to side to side ahead of you there's a lot more drag out of the mono it's like an elastic you know mm. so and if you get good mono you still get you still get all the fight on the rod but yeah but but uh, I think I I think for shark fishing anyway, I, I yeah. and for tuna, I would be I any of the surface fighting fishes. I would go for mono. I if agree. you're fishing on the bottom, I would go for braid. That's that's it. That's yeah. a rule of thumb. Mm. I agree completely. Look, sharks, and my my fishing with you is really like sharks because it was like I don't know I was doing like a ten shark trips in a year. In uh, the, in the shark obsessed yes i was i was shark obsessed i think there is also there is an episode already on this podcast when i'm talking about how shark obsessed i was um so obviously blue shark is the taupe in the estuary and blue shark as an open water is yeah, the, the main you could catch them all the time but they're they're their main species but also we have this very special six gill shark well, we just, yeah, we, we, I, as I said, I commercial fish in the area. We used to catch these big bloody sharks in the nets. Um, a lot of the time they would break out of the nets and they'd be gone and they'd be fine. And often, sometimes they would be dead as well. So look, but they were there. And I, when I got built the boat and got the tackle on it, I realized that a lot of people were just undergunned for the the sort of stuff that is available out here. Mm. And so I had some quite heavy rods in the boat and not immediately, but within a couple of years of starting, I was starting to get six gill sharks reasonably regular. And for the last 10 years, we would have had six gill sharks. 
a few times a year. Right. And we've had them at this stage. I think the longest of them were over 25 foot long. 25 foot long yeah, fish. Yeah. How 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 would you estimate you estimated the weight or like how you estimate we, we 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 once brought in a shark. We brought in one shark once which we weighed and measured and had a biopsy done of it. There was um few shark scientists came in and I used that as a scale since that shark was 1056 pounds it was just under 14 foot long wow um and I would use that as a scale mm -hmm. when I'm estimating the fish in the waters so if it's around the 14 foot I would 13 to 14 foot I would say a thousand pound I would say the biggest shark we had up on the beside the boat And it's just literally alongside the boat. The boat's 40 foot long. If it's halfway along the boat, it's 20 foot long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're using the boat as a measuring device. With a how big fish? You're going to say half of the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, they're big. They're amazing. They're, they're, so was it like 2,000 pounds? Yeah, I would say. We've had them up to 2,000 pounds, I would say. 2,000 pounds fish. Yeah. Which is off the, reg off the scale in, in Europe. Yeah, a thousand fifty-six pound is the Irish record. It's the one we brought in. It's outside of the Azores. It's a European record. Mm. Um, there are, they are freight train fishing rather than express train fishing. Is the way yeah. I describe them. Yeah, I, I think I vaguely remember you being fairly well put under pressure with one of them. Oh my! It was yes. It was it was. Uh, It was like a three hours, yes, more than three hours, 45 minutes, I think. Three I think I, I have vague memory of the, the certain fisherman not taking enough advice from his mm -hmm. skipper when it comes to tackle. Yeah, that was that was me. <laughs> that was, I, 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 you know, I was just convinced that I can do it the yeah, way I want you, it. You won't, you won't under tackle and catch them. Mm, so you need yeah. to be on your 50 pound. I've had them on a 30 pound class rod once, you know, but I think the fisherman was lucky. I would say if you're going targeting them, you want a minimum of 50 pound class. Yeah, yeah. And you want good strong braid and you want a good strong back. And I found Black Magic and AFCO harnesses, which are a fantastic invention. Mm -hmm. And That uh, was what I was missing. Yeah, you were I, definitely missing. I, 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 I thought, yeah, I'm going to do it in hand. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, no, you need, to be, you need to be harnessed up. And I have yeah. a good harness on the boat now as well. Mm. And um, but, but if you put in the effort, We've caught them. I've had one fisherman that's caught two in one day. Wow. Um, generally, I would say if a fella came for two to three days, he had a good chance of catching one. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's kind of what I, I, I don't want to oversell it. But like we have had, we have had good fishing on them. We don't do a hell of a lot of days each year, although it'd be kind of a, a signature fish f for us and for the area. It's not something we do a lot of. Yeah, because the people don't 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 well, want to you, put an you, effort. You, you're anchored hard. up in six or seventy meters of water. You need the right day. You need the maximum two or three fishermen on the boat that are willing to spend a whole day just sitting there waiting for one bite. Mm. Although we do catch a bit of other fish on the side, we mm. catch some nice congers and some mm -hmm. skate and bits and pieces. But it is specialist fishing. You yes. need to be hardcore fishermen focused on that and you don't mind sitting three days on the boat doing nothing and end up not catching something oh, well, we'll have a good okay with we'll that we'll tell a lot of lies to each other <laughs> yeah just you won't to, do nothing just to keep, just to keep, keep us entertained yeah, yeah, yeah. i will drink tea 
<laughs> very good. So if you like tea and telling lies, go yeah. six gillish fishing, fishing stories. Fishing yes, stories. and you just might end up with a two thousand pound fish. Well, if you're lucky. a thousand pounds, a thousand pounder, a grander in Irish waters and European waters. It's an achievement, I think, and everybody who catches one feels it's an achievement. Yeah, even saying like a grander, it's usually res a term reserved for like a billfish somewhere in the in an exotic location, and yeah, here it is. In which case, you will probably spend three or four days trolling around with nothing on the bloody boat. Mm. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, listen. So here's a here's a question. You mentioned parbigal sharks, and quite recently. Um, I heard from people from Shark Trust that there is a increase catch rate. There is on, the, the, on parbigal sharks. Yep, there's more of them around. Yes, and and then there's so there's there's a couple of things. They're still critically endangered, and the question is like with in case with bluefin tuna, is it that there's more of them, or is it just the population gets displaced and uh, and there's is there's as many as they were except the population moves because of the change of the climate and so on and so on so it's uh, and and just two days ago on twitter <laughs> it was like a big oh, this, I, I i came across it actually. this 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 uh this this shark is you know and um so there's a talk about uh, ban on parbigal sharks and of total protection. So um, from 2010, they're protected from the commercial exploitation, but right now there is a, there are talks apparently about total protection, which again even uh, anglers won't be allowed to catch parbigal sharks. And what's your what's your take on that? Uh, I... In terms of number of fish, and in terms of how endangered they are, and how how you could, you know, not target them because, uh, you know, I'm not an expert by any means, but I've done a lot of shark fishing and I can't see how I can not target parbigal sharks while target other species. Well, I think some of the, some fishermen have twigged some of the breeding areas for parbigal shark and ah. catch them very regular this time of the year, heavy females that are breeding. Their release rates are very, very high. I think they're well proven, very, very low mortality at all in it. There's definitely a lot more of them. Critically endangered is a term that is thrown at us generally by the uneducated, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I was certainly got plenty of flack when I brought in a six skill and I was told how it was on the critically endangered list and all this sort of stuff. No, oh, it, it wasn't. It never was. Uh, it, I was told it was. I was oh, told it's a it was Wikipedia. By, there's a yeah, Wikipedia. I, I agree 100. percent They're not at all. They're one of the most widely ranged sharks in the world. They're they the scientists know very little about them, except there's a lot of them out there, and they're all over the world. And there's two or three. There's a blunt nose, and there's a Cow pointy nose. nose like and there's, there's, but the basically, and there's a Greenland shark, which is basically the same thing as well. Poor beagle shark. I certainly have seen more and more of them swimming around our boat while we're fishing for Pollock over the last couple of years, talking to the commercial fishermen, there's more and more of them turning up when they're gutting fish on on the commercial mm -hmm. boats. Mm -hmm. There's more of them swimming around the boat. I think there's been a big... The commercial fishing has been stopped for them, and there has been a big increase in their numbers. And if people want to shout out and because they're bored rotten sitting in an office somewhere and they have to have something to talk about on Twitter... <laughs> and they want to cause hassle for people that are willing to put in the effort to go out and catch them. Very few of them are willing to put in that effort, and very few of them overall that are caught. And as I said, the catch and release levels 
are proven very high. Hmm. I we better not dwell too much yeah. on it because I, I I would have certain terms to call those sort of people. Mm. But no, yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's a problem. Okay, so so you think that the the, the population genuinely is increasing? And Definitely then... increasing. Every, all, all the all the anecdotal evidence that we would have on the coast is that they are increasing. Right, right. That's a, that's a very good news. Uh, tell a few words about shark handling because high release rate. When the fish is released on harm, that also depends on the on the uh, proper handling of the shark, and because shark doesn't have a rib cage, that's can you can you can you tell? Yeah, tell so us they, a bit people of, have all these things. How you need to support a shark? Like commercial fishermen for years would catch a shark any old way and fire it over the side and it would swim off. I would be from a commercial fishing background, and I suppose I'm a little bit more aware of how we're supposed to handle a shark. But certainly, I would have caught sharks in all different ways and directions and throwing them over the side and i have a surprisingly high return rate of the tags the few tags i do put on them you know mm. so there's no evidence that but a lot of people that people have developed a protocol for handling and we would try and go down that route as much as possible you have to remember there's a sharp end mm -hmm. you want to keep your hand out of that mouth <laughs> uh, i think that's the number one thing um But you have to respect these animals. And if you're catching them as a catch really, I, I, to be absolutely honest, the likes of blue shark and that, if, one, if a person wants to bring one ashore to eat it, mm -hmm. it's not the end of the world to me. Um, Especially having those Spanish longliners hammering. Hundreds, I think something like 15, or 150,000 shark they were caught with. It was some crazy numbers anyway. Uh, there's no point in us being puritanical about it either. Mm. We're We're out there catching, we're sticking hooks in their mouth. Yeah. You know, if you don't want to do that, go and read nursery rhymes, mm -hmm. you know, or yep. do whatever you want to do, but, mm -hmm. um, or, or spend your time annoying people that do want to go out catching fish. But <laughs> it's up to you, but you have to face up to the facts of what you're doing. Yeah. And, but you have to respect the surrounding, you have to respect the fish that you're catching. They're either food or they're live animals that you put them back. And uh, there's no point kicking them around the deck and then dumping them at the end of the day, I would disagree totally with anything like that. Yeah, yeah. T tell us about tagging, because tagging was like, for me, at least for me, for, with this catching the shark, it was like a big part of what we were doing. It was almost like a where you put a tag and you measure, like, like yeah. where, where so, did that so go? Are, You're the, still doing that? We tagging. still do a bit of it. I must admit, I do less of it than I used to do, um, partly because... I don't know. I suppose to, we talked about it. I would be quite focused on the customer and everything. And I don't want to suddenly become focused on the fish mm -hmm. halfway through being focused on the customer. Mm -hmm. So you want to get his fish. You want to get his photograph of the fish. You want to get it back in the water. And if you, if the person is not comfortable handling the fish, mm -hmm. uh, you really need help tagging. To be honest, yes. you need somebody that can help you. You need somebody that can hold the mm -hmm. tail end and the head end. I can attest to that. Yeah. Uh, and if, if if people aren't quite comfortable doing that, then you could you could force them the issue and do it, or you can just put them back. And I know some, quite a few of the sort of big shark charter skippers will do no tagging for that reason. They just don't mm -hmm. they don't want to get involved. In it. But there is a tagging program that's run by Inland Fisheries Ireland. It's the second longest tagging program in the world after American wow. American tagging. There's uh, data going back 40 years there. Um, I think it needs to be supported. 
um, and I do the best I can. I will admit that I'm not as much as I should. Um, and it, but but some amazing data, like fish that I've caught here, been recaught in the Azores and the Cape Verde Islands, in mm. the Caribbean. It's amazing how large a range these fish have. You know? Yeah, and clearly that's another thing that clearly the survival rate is that you you cannot you can say something about survival rate like you said because there's a lot of fish being recaptured yeah well so, and, and the tagging the only time we get tags back are from commercial fishermen yes that's what you were so, saying, you were so saying. They're, they're knocked on the head when when we get results from this tagging program they're knocked on the head by some commercial fishermen you know so yeah you know there's no point saying oh we only catch tag and release and somehow we're doing the only reason you would tag is because you're expecting some commercial fisherman to catch it and report where he caught it yeah. and the size and everything else of it. Did, so. did it ever happen that the angler caught the shark that was already I tagged? I never heard of it. I'm sure it's happened. Certainly hasn't happened on my boat. And I haven't heard of it happening of recatching a tagged blue shark. Hmm. I have recaught tagged rays and tagged tope. And right. I caught back tope that I've tagged myself two or three years previous. Wow. Uh, or a few weeks previous, but I've never done it with the blue shark. Yeah, yeah. On tagging, you know, I have a, and you you mentioned that, and probably I don't know if, if with sharks this is such a big deal, but there is a program also for bass, sea bass tagging. Yes, and I think it's absolutely bonkers because the amount of time that fish spends out of the water is like three to four times as long. Yeah, because you're tagging it. Yeah. And because you and especially that that program like with shark it was like you measure shark yes. you measure you put the tag on you release definitely the shark. takes a lot longer like I, I yes but yeah. with a bass you need to remove the scale and you need to measure and you need to weigh and you need like like that I think that that tagging program does more harm to the inshore stocks of the, the yeah the, well I, I think in all these cases it's a case of being organized for it I think it, if yeah. it's a, if it's a group of shall we say scientists almost. Yes. Often they're anglers and scientists, and yeah. they're going out and they're tagging these fish. They can often they have a process in place, but if they're just handing out tagging tags to any Tom Dick and Harry that wants to have a go at it, mm -hmm. and don't haven't thought through a procedure for it, you need a procedure in place for ta for, yeah. for proper tagging. And the bluefin tuna that have been caught have had satellite tags in it, and their survival rate of the animals that have satellite tags on them have been very very high, mm. a lot higher than ninety percent. Yeah, I think almost a hundred percent actually. Well, the survival rates, which, you know, is is again a test testament to the people who are doing it. They're doing the right, mm. right yeah. way of doing it. You know, listen. So, so just in in a, in a in a summary, because you know, obviously, you hear that too about overfishing and how bad the situation is at sea and all that. Each time I'm talking to you, I don't have this doom and gloom. Uh, perception of fish stocks and what's happening in it, but at the, at the, at the same time, we had the conversation many times on the boat that yeah, actually, there's no conservation measures when it comes to uh, commercial fishing. So, what's your take on issue like overfishing, and is it is it really situation that bad that if if something not not gonna be you know drastically done, we're gonna run out of the fish because the well, fishing people have been saying are, that for so long. Yes, there's fishing pressure. Yes, the boats are the commercial fishing now are amazing. They lot cost a lot of money. Unless they're making money, they won't be out there. You mm. know, they feed a lot of people. 
But the main thing is, like you said, there's no conservation measures. There are lots of conservation measures being placed. There's quite a strict quota and there's a lot of research that goes into the biomass of fish that's in the area. And it, there is a harvestable amount. Mm -hmm. And I would say certainly there's fish land in the black market and certainly there's some fishing done that's illegal. There's a big variance in what people see as a as a biomass and what the scientists would see as a biomass, you know. So, mm -hmm. and, and every so often the scientists will sometimes admit that they're wrong, but they'll admit it both ways, that there, there was a lot more there than they thought there was, but there's a lot less than they thought there was. It's not an mm -hmm. exact science, yes. but people have fished for hundreds and hundreds of years. But number one thing about fishing, and I have a background in it, is that you have to make money out of it. And if you're not enough fish there to catch to make money out of it, you won't stay fishing. Mm -hmm. So to a certain level, it's self-regulating. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to go out there. You can't go. It's not possible to go out and catch the last fish that's there because it's not economically viable to do it. Yeah. You know, um, and a lot of the commercial fishermen that are out there, there are some cowboys and there are some companies that are unscrupulous, but an, an awful lot of the commercial fishing boats are owner skippered and uh -huh. they would have a they would have they would they know well that if they catch if they hammer a fishing there's nothing for them next year you know and i think they get a bad rap from from anglers and from conservatives uh, conservationists and and that's what and i think that maybe and it's certainly an approach i take that there should be a lot more cooperation certainly between the inshore fishermen and anglers Hmm. Um, rather than the conflict that's there, you know, it's as I, I just love what you said because this is exactly, this is exactly my point that there is a lot of uh, adversary relation, where in fact, this is like the, the the this is the common goal. Like both sides should work together and and kind of agree rather than bash heads. Absolutely, and 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 like only recently this year, like we've had boats over eighteen meters now being banned from from six mile limit. Mm -hmm. You know, it starts from next year. No more trawling inside six miles, and that's building up to no more pelagic fishing inside six miles by I think twenty twenty one, and that was a effort that was actually spearheaded by inshore fishermen, but very strongly supported by anglers right. um, in the in the lobbying side of it. And those are the sort of things. I, I, I absolutely agree that the big fishing boats shouldn't be allowed in close to where the nursery fish are. It just shouldn't happen. Mm. There has to be very tight controls. In it. I don't think it's in the doomsday thing that people, some people paint. I think the seal problem we have on the coast of Ireland is a huge problem that's not even doesn't seem to be considered by the con oh, conservation seal problem yeah tell 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 me about it oh. what's the seal problem well there's a huge explosion in the population of seals off the west coast of Ireland and Scotland and they eat a hell of a lot of fish so the inshore fishing you know you go to places like look it's mm. it's a very controversial thing to get to get stuck into but mm. uh, when i was a young lad and i'm not that old when I was a young lad, there was a bounty on seals, and yes. they used to kill the seals. Yes. No more than your your grey crow and your fox and all these other things they were considered. And actually, I was playing football as a young lad. I remember the stink of frigging seal oil inside in the dressing room because they were used as a form of deep heat to put on your skin before <laughs> a game. It was 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 seal fat, 
But there's certainly no hunting, and they're a protected species. And you see yeah. what's happened on the east coast of of Canada, where whole communities have been decimated because of this ban on mm. on seals, and because they're apparently cute little things, and mm -hmm. we're not allowed to sort of, mm -hmm. you know. But you have there's to accept Bambi syndrome. Yeah, there's a huge population of seals, and they have to eat too. And a lot of research which say that there is as much fish caught in the British Isles by seals as there are by commercial fishermen. Really? And everybody knows how much fish has been caught by commercial fishermen. That's that's that's, that's, that's interesting because you're, you're touching on the very, you know, those people who are saying, you know, for, for there's a lot of people that killing seal is unthinkable. It's unthinkable. And there's this... This attitude, yeah, oh, because we're encroaching on their and their need to live and so on and so on. And at some point, that almost becomes anti-human, right? So, well, so, it's, so, it's, what, it so what we suppose, I, right, right, go vegan, right? There's an alternative. But uh, it's, and, not a, it's not an alternative. Yeah, well, Veganism is, is an absolute <laughs> fallacy. But again, we're, we're diverse, you know, yeah, we're, yeah. we're going off. No, the, but my, 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 point, my point is that that balance that people when people talking about the balance in nature it's it's quite we are a, part of nature yes exactly we are part of nature anybody that's living in a fisherman who's grown up as a fisherman or a farmer and i do both we are part of nature and yeah. to suddenly think that we're not part of nature is a crazy thing mm -hmm. exactly exactly i agree i agree and and I'm, i'm glad that you that you said that you said that because this is like let's leave and there is a lot of people i I kind of understand where they're coming from. It's like, oh, let's leave nature to itself, right? And let's leave all the fish to seals because they... Right? But then, okay, what about me? What about... Well, there's only, you, there's only you know? 600 and how many... What's one less than 7 billion? There's 7 billion of us in the world nowadays. So mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of other people out there mm -hmm. and they all have to be fed and yeah. you have to respect the environment and you have to leave place probably in a try to leave places in a better condition than we got them and we yeah. didn't get them in a bad condition yeah. and are we suddenly the generation that's going to wipe out all these species I don't believe so hmm. I don't believe so um, but yeah. uh, that's yeah. that's not yeah. that's not just just, just to just to finish about. on that do you think that the uh, recreational fishing angling should be licensed i mean i mean i'm talking about ireland uh, you know british isles uh in terms of I would agree. yes i think it should be provided the money that's raised is used and ring fenced for the development of it shouldn't just be another tax we're right. far too heavily yeah. taxed yes we pay our taxes everybody pays their taxes pays more taxes than they should have to pay not everybody us the the work certainly mm. do anyway um but i would have no hassle with a license. When I went to, I was fishing Mozambique end of last year, we had to pay a fishing license for about $30. Mm -hmm. I hope that went into fishing. I'm almost guarantee it went into somebody's arse pocket. Yeah. But if it's a properly done thing, the Norwegians do it. Most of Europe do. You go fishing in Spain or Portugal. Everybody gives off about the Spain or Portuguese fishermen. You go fishing for a day in Spain or Portugal, you have to have a license. If you yeah. want to fish off the end of a beer, you have to have a license. Yeah. I have a fellow that comes fishing with me every year and he was out on a cruise liner last mm -hmm. year mm -hmm. and he had his travel rod with him and while they were tied up to the pier, he decided to go fishing off the end of the pier behind the cruise ship mm -hmm. and 
squad car landed down beside him to arrest him because he had the official <laughs> license. <laughs> yeah. but, but people in Ireland, we get away with these things that we... I wouldn't. I wouldn't object to it. Yeah. So like, an, like, like um, exactly. So like an American model almost. What's that, what I like to call. Well, the that. Americans. If you want to see a way fisheries is controlled, mm-hmm. go to America. Go to the states. Yes. But the states is one country, and they are controlling one waters. Whereas we have this mm-hmm. EU here, and we have all different types of fishermen, commercial exactly. fishermen in the same waters, and it's a lot more complicated. And it's there's a lot more traditional rights in Europe because fishing goes back thousands of years. Yes. Whereas in America, of course, there was a, a a local fisheries, which has been very disturbed by our European point of views. Again, by your seals, there mm-hmm. was there was whole populations that lived off seal hunting in America for thousands of years, mm-hmm. and suddenly we put Paul McCartney's values on it in the last couple of years, <laughs> and whole communities have died, mm-hmm. died out. You look along the east coast of Canada; it's frightening. What's happened to some of the communities there in the last five to ten years because of the mm-hmm. the ban on seal hunting imposed on them by Europe? Yeah, yeah Canada is, is especially a, like you probably heard recently they banned uh, grizzly hunting, and what's what's happening? They very quickly start to have uh, those problem animals, and uh, well, they're coming down into the in, into housing estates. And yeah, yeah. Look, there has to be a balance. There has to be give and take, but there has yeah. to be re- a lot of realism in it. Yeah. Uh, so, how do you see the future of of fishing and and uh, you know the sea and the? Fisheries? I want to take people out fishing less and do more fishing myself. That's the future. Okay. Okay. So um, that's a that's a actually good concluder. <laughs> I think that's an excellent concluder. I enjoy taking out people very very much. I, I really do. I would. I'll concentrate probably going forward more and more on people that come to stay for a few days with us and are looking for a fishing holiday and adventure mm. rather than just people going out in a day charter, which it would not be my favorite form of fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, as we get older, myself and my wife, I suppose, we want we look for quality. We've reared our family. We're looking for quality of life ourselves. So uh, we have to make an income, and this is our income. And uh, But I, I, I want to do it so I want to enjoy I don't want to stop enjoying it. Yes, that's a that's a very important thing. Yeah, fantastic. Is there anything that we haven't spoke about that you thought that we should speak about? Is there anything that you wish I give you opportunity? Give to me talk? another. Give me ten minutes after you turn off the microphone, Tommy. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Look, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I've, I I I'm sure that our listeners will have a, a lot of uh, information, um, a lot of knowledge, and. Uh, I'm sure we sent few your way. Well, sure. Yep. My website, fishandstay.com. And there is quite a bit of information on that as well, you know, of exactly what we do and how we do it. So that's where to find us, Tommy. Thank you very much. Thank you.
You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.